Hey, Mark. Hey, Katie. Hey, you want to do a podcast? Yeah. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Unforget Yourself Show, where we use the power of woo and the proof of science to help you identify your blind spots, get over your own bullshit, <gasps> so that you can do the fucking thing you actually want to do. Absolutely. I'm Mark. And I'm Katie. And we're the founders of Unforget Yourself and the creators of the Unforget Yourself system. Look, being a business owner is tough. Yeah. With vulnerability and with humor, mm-hmm. we'll be sharing with you the real stories behind the success of those brave and crazy enough to start their own business and to show you that you're not alone. You're not. Well, from the accidental entrepreneur to the laser-focused CEO, we have honest conversations about how they got to where they are today. We talk about the challenges that they faced and what they're currently dealing with in real time on their roller coaster journey. Along the way, we want to show you that it's, it's you. You are the most important asset in your business. Yeah, you are. So let's cut the bullshit and start the show. Enjoy. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the show. Today we have Vincent Puglisi. Vincent is the founder of the Total Life Freedom Mastermind and Community. He helps solopreneurs, business owners, and creatives build a business to create time, money, and location freedom. Thank God. (laughs) We want that. So Vincent, welcome. Could you please share with everybody a bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Most importantly, married. My amazing wife, Elizabeth, we've married 20 years. We have three boys. They are 17, 15, 11. We homeschool through essentially interest-based learning. Um, I was never a good student. And so I was never a big fan of school. My wife was amazing at school. So we kind of had this, you know, yin and yang with that in terms of when we were having kids. And we learned early on with the school system that, um, first of all, we loved, you know, Total Life Freedom is the name of our business. We had that with our kids from very young, as, as a lot of us do when they're little, and we would travel, we do all that type of stuff. And then they started going to school and they were coming back and there was all this homework and they were now off the bus at four o'clock and homework till six o'clock. And we realized they're stressed out already at a young age doing work that they're not really interested in. And because they're told what to do and we don't get to spend time with our kids the way that we used to. And why are we doing this? Yeah. Is exactly how it went down. And our friends, Ken, Ken and Teresa Carfagno, homeschooled their kids. And that was way back seven, eight years ago when homeschooling was this crazy notion that nobody ever did, right? Mm-hmm. And you're weird and, and you make your own clothes and you wear weird hats that you design yourself and however people see homeschoolers. Well, that's and, what you're wearing right now, right? Nobody can see it, the weird exactly, hat. Exactly, <laughs> the crazy hat that we homeschool made. Um, and we said, is this really possible? So we said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to try this next year. And, and they, we, we started homeschooling and it was just amazing because our kids got to explore the things that they were interested in instead, instead of being told what to do. And I said to myself, well, isn't this the way life works? We go through school for 12 years and then four or eight more years being told kind of what to do, when to get on the bus, when to get off the bus, when the bell rings, no matter what we're working on, mm-hmm. as brilliant as it is, stop. And go do yeah. something else that might not be interesting to you at all. And we wonder why at 37 years old, somebody comes to me and says, I hate my life, even though I make good money, but I have a, a wife and three kids and I want to do this thing that I always loved when I was little, but I can't do it because I sell insurance and I don't enjoy this, but I can't give up this money. Mm-hmm. We've created an entire system to put people through this, to get them to that point, to mm-hmm. where they're depressed and sad. And now, well, why do so many people drink? And why are so many people addicted to all these terrible things? Why is it? Well, we've kind of set everybody up for it. 
So that's my assertion of it. So we weren't going to put our kids through the same thing. And our oldest loved bugs from when he was little, literally when he was four years old, we said, what do you want for Christmas? He said, a tarantula. Oh, and buddy. We said, yeah. And we said, no. So what else do you want? He said, scorpion. And at that point, we knew we were in for it. Yeah. But he studied it like crazy. Three or four hours a day, reading books on it, drawing pictures. So now at 17, he has a business called Bugs Rule where he speaks to organizations and he goes to birthday parties and he educates people on these bugs and he entertains these kids with it. He goes out over here in Florida and he makes hundreds of dollars a night in tips, just letting people hold these things. And now he's creating a membership around it. Now that's way different than if it's like, Hey, go take these classes and learn something that you don't want to learn just so you mm-hmm. get a degree that you're never going to use. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the start of it in terms of our, our parenting with it, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I think it's a good way to frame out what the philosophy around homeschooling for those that have not made that choice or don't maybe understand it, that there's yep. more to it than that. Oh, it's, it's, um, it's, you know, if, if I had, there's days I wish I had like eight different lives because yeah. I would take one of those lives and I would educate solely on this conversation but I don't have time to do it. And I'm not trying to convince everybody to homeschool, right? That's not my, cause you know, we've gotten ourselves into the American way of two parents, both working different jobs, got ourselves into debt. So both jobs have to pay the bills just to get by. How do I have time to even think about, I don't want to try to convince those people of anything. Hopefully they can figure it out for themselves one way or the other in terms of what they're doing. But Mm -hmm. the whole topic around the idea of homeschooling, I think has been, has been shifted. I think by the public perception of it and even by public schools saying those are the weird people, whereas (laughs) we will go places and people like your kids are so we've heard this before. Your kids are Mm -hmm. so polite. Like, are you homeschooled? They'll say to them because they know that when they're in these restaurants, it's the homeschool kids often that are polite and and um, just personable, whereas the whole conversation is, oh, what about socialization? That's what (laughs) we hear all the time. Oh, God, I know. And I'm sorry. I'm saying I know because I, I I homeschooled for a while. Right. So you see yeah. it. You heard it. Yes. So, yes, yes. You know, and I'm a sarcastic New York Italian, and I have fun with this stuff. And mm-hmm. our neighbor across the street, when we lived in in Pennsylvania, said, "Well, aren't you worried about socialization?" And I said to him, "I said, how old are you?" And he said, "I'm 58." And I said, "Do you just hang out with 58 year olds?" And he said, "Well, no." And he, I could see him starting to think. And, and then he kind of said, I kind of get where you're, where you're going from. I'm like, so when what world is 14 year olds only hanging out with 14 year olds and 15 year olds being idols and the, the year younger than you are idiots in what world is that normal outside of school? As soon as you leave school, like Katie, I don't know how old you are. I don't, it doesn't matter. We can have a great conversation. You don't have to be my age, but in that world you do, but mm-hmm. we've made that normal. We've made that normal from five years old to where when we get out in the real world, we still have these things built in. In homeschooling, it's not. At, at 14 years old, they're mentoring five-year-olds in co-op or in groups. And mm-hmm. the seven-year-olds are playing with the 10-year-olds. That doesn't happen in school, but it happens in real life. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're advocates for it. So that translates totally to how you show up in business and what you do, right? That is seems to be a parallel philosophy. Absolutely. And could, could you expand on that then, how this translates for 
adults. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's why we do the work that we do. I'm not trying to sell anything here, but when you have community, when you have masterminds, when you have that type of stuff, everybody learns from everybody. Right. And no matter where you're at, we, you could have the person that's making a tremendous amount of money, but they have no balance in their life. Mm -hmm. And then you have somebody else that is in a different industry that doesn't make nearly as much money, but they've got amazing balance and an amazing family. Well, guess what? That person making a lot of money can learn a lot from the person not making a lot of money, right? And the person not making a lot of money that has great balance can learn systems on how to make more money, but not lose the balance they have from the person that is making money. Mm -hmm. And when you can bring that together in all different aspects of life, when you can have realtors and you can have artists and you can have entrepreneurs and you can have authors and you can have brick and mortar business owners along with people that are great at Amazon and building funnels, all this type of stuff, that's how life works in a great entrepreneurial group. And that's what it is in terms of business. So that's what I want. I want, a, I want a powerful network. I want people around me that have high quality, that mm -hmm. have high character, integrity. They're curious. You know, they connect, they collaborate, and we build things together. And that's essentially mm -hmm. what the book that I wrote is. So, and, and, I, and I'll come back and take one more shot at school. I didn't learn any of this stuff in school. None of it. Yeah. I learned you get a grade you master something and then you never learn it again because you passed the test. I don't understand that. If I'm going to learn one thing, I want to keep growing on it and I want to be better at that one thing and eliminate the things that don't matter in my life. None mm -hmm. of that stuff is taught. So I think we set kids up poorly because of that. Oh, certainly. Cause it's focused and clarity of, on what you actually desire or are interested in. And I think yeah. it's so watered down. Oh, um, Completely. <laughs> Completely. And it's never, nobody ever asked me in school what you're interested in. Nobody ever asked me. At, at 16 years old, my guidance counselor said to me, she said, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. 16 years old. The heck do I know? Right? right. What do I want to do? I like girls in sports and music. Right? That's, that's all I thought about. So it's kind of like, what, what do you want to do? And I, and I said to her, I said, you know, I have no idea. But mm -hmm. I do know that I don't want to wear a tie and sit in an office all day. Yeah. And she looked at me and she said, no, I'm serious. And I said, no, I'm serious. I don't want to do what you're doing here and what he's doing right behind you in this tiny little cramped office with an orange light. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sit in an office all day with no windows with a tie on. Mm -hmm. And she kicked me out of her office, right? She said, get out. She was so frustrated because I didn't follow the system. So mm -hmm. I left school and I struggled for a while and I bounced in and out of majors. I was arrested. I did everything you shouldn't be doing but figuring things out for what, what I love doing. So at mm -hmm. 22 years old, um, I had a nightmare that I was arrested again. Mm -hmm. I had a nightmare of this. And I went downstairs and I, I moved back in with my parents and I, sat, and I was sitting at the kitchen table and, I, and my dad came downstairs. And we didn't get along, as you can imagine, hearing these stories of my past. Mm -hmm. And I said to him for the first time, I said, what am I, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I never mm -hmm. thought about it until that moment. I just had fun. And he simply said, without even looking at me, he goes, well, you like sports. You like taking pictures. You like traveling. Why don't you become a sports photographer? And I said, is that even a job? I didn't even know that was a job. They never told me in school that, that was a job. You would think in school they would say, hey, this is something that you could be interested in. They yeah. knew I liked going to these games. They knew I studied it. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't they suggest it? So I looked at the newspaper the next day and I said, holy crap, like, there's pictures in here and there's a name underneath it. And these guys get paid to do this. So I went and bought a camera and a lens that day. And I went to the job that I worked at and, and I quit and I yeah. 
enrolled in community college for photography. And I got an internship getting paid nothing. I was the Vintern. That was my nickname. And then I eventually got upgraded to get paid. And so my nickname went along with that. I was called Vinimum Wage because that was my, that was my salary. Yeah. Yeah. And I worked nine months doing research and filing slide photographs until I actually got to photograph my first hockey game and then got published in a magazine, then another one, then worked for sixth largest newspaper in New York, in in the country, in New York, and Mm -hmm. then built out a career where I eventually won international sports photography of the year and all the major awards and built that career that I had dreamed of. And I remember walking onto the Super Bowl in 2002 Tom Brady's first Super Bowl and looking back at all the people that told me you couldn't do it and said, I did it. And a lot of it was kind of throwing it in their face because I was angry because people right. didn't support it. But then realizing as time went on and doing that career for 20 years, eventually there's more to this. I didn't want to shoot anymore. I kind of wanted to teach people how to do this and how to build this life. So that's how this next level of our career started. Oh, so the, it, this iteration came from you actually pursuing it because it sounds like where it started is basic awareness. There was, you had no awareness that this was a possibility, right? No. And, then, and then you understood that it was. Yes. And then I understood that it was. And I said, how do I make this happen? And yeah. that was the whole idea of like people talk about failure and they're afraid of failure. I'm no longer afraid of it because even in that moment, that night with my dad, um, after he went upstairs and I sat at the kitchen table, like, is this even now I'm excited. Is this even possible? Mm-hmm. And I was so down on myself because I'd failed at everything. I said to myself, literally, I'm going to fail at this. I know I am because I failed at everything so far, mm-hmm. but I said, but at least this sounds cool. Nothing else sounded cool before. So I said to myself, you're going to f- go fail at something cool. And I literally had the excuse in my mind that I was going to tell my friends, like there was one time I actually tried to be a sports photographer. I was proud of the fact that I was going to fail at something that I didn't even do yet because I knew I was going to fail. I had no confidence in myself. But so how did you change that? What happened? I, I was finally committed to something that I was interested in. Okay. That's why I think we're so focused on this with our kids. Mm-hmm. When I was interested in something, my demeanor changed. Mm-hmm. Instead of being a D and an F student, I went back to community college and I was an A student. But I wasn't trying to be an A student. I wasn't doing it for the grades. I was just more passionate than everybody else. Mm -hmm. I was also older than everybody else. And I knew what failure looked like. So when I'm 24 in college with 17 year olds that are like, yeah, I like photography, but I like art, but maybe I'll do accounting, but maybe I'll do, there was no commitment. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not letting this slip. So what I did was every night I would, I would buy a ticket to, you know, the cheapest ticket to a game in New York, Yankees, Mets, Islanders. And I would sneak down to the front row. And I would find a way the security worked and I'd watch them and they would have this pattern and I figured out their pattern. So when they walked down to the field, they would come back up. It's okay. So I stood behind them with my camera. They would walk down. I'd follow right behind them halfway down. Then I'd sit down on one of the empty seats. And then the, the inning started, they walked back up. And as soon as they walked past me, I'd walk down and I'd be in the front row of every game within two innings or the very beginning of a game. And I would just start taking pictures, mm-hmm. but I figured out there were photographers that got paid right down there. So that became my new, that became my first real school. I would mm-hmm. ask them what kind of cameras, what kind of lenses you use, what kind of film, who do you work for? How much do you get paid? Who, you know, and, and I built relationships with those people where that's how my first internships, the first two came about was through the relationships of the people in the photo well at these games that I would essentially sneak into. Yeah. 
fascinating. <laughs> it is. I hear these stories from from all these different individuals that I talked to on how they got from one point to the other. And this trajectory is always, always, I just followed what I love doing mm -hmm. and I kept doing it. Yes. And it leads to something amazing each time. So, and if it doesn't, and if it doesn't, you learn something because not everything yes. we've done has worked. Right. Yeah. So what have you learned? Like what has come up for you in that way? Oh my goodness. It, it's, it's, first of all, what I've learned is that's why I wrote the latest book is it's about connections. It's about relationships. Yeah. It, it, everything is because you might not always want to be in the industry that you're in right now, mm -hmm. but when you spend time cultivating real relationships, helping other people out, connecting people together, sharing their work, promoting their stuff, being that person, no matter what you do, doors are going to open up. I do it every day. I call it the hour of giving. I spend an hour and it's nothing about me. And I just reach out to people that I'm thinking about. I send thank you messages or thank you notes. I connect people together. I promote their stuff. I do all these type of things. I should do it eight hours a day because it's the most, it's the greatest marketing you'll ever do when it comes down to it and the greatest relationship builder because nobody does it. We're all so focused on ourselves and our goals and what we're going to learn, our selfish goals that we don't think about generous goals. So my whole thing is yeah. about generous goals. What can I do that makes the people around me better? What can I do? What, what do I need, right? If you think of it this way with your business, with your podcast, what do you need more than anything? You want people to listen to it. You want people to share it. You want people to review it. Well, guess what? Podcasters of the world, are you doing that for other podcasters? Chances are that you're not. Chances mm -hmm. are that you're not reviewing theirs or sharing theirs or connecting people. That's how it builds. And when I realized I did that in the photography world and I wound up knowing everybody, I wound up knowing all the team photographers. I wound up knowing the different journalists in different cities that whenever I went to a different city, if I wanted to shoot a game, I just made a mess. I just sent a message. And they're like, come on, be my assistant. Happened everywhere I went. Yeah. So I wound up shooting everywhere and doing it and meeting everybody. I'm like, wait a second. If this world, if this worked in this little world of sports photography, wouldn't this work in the world of entrepreneurship or podcasting or blog, all of it. Mm -hmm. So I just transfer those skills wherever I go. So even if I know tomorrow, I want to stop doing what I'm doing now. I know the next thing I'm going to build is going to be strong because I have a network already built within it and it's not industry specific. Okay. So that is fascinating right now because one of the themes that I have seen come up again and again in conversations with online entrepreneurs is this feeling of not being connected mm -hmm. only. Yes. Can you... I'm sure that you have lots of thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Should I just it's, unleash you on it or I can guide you? Usually I have to say it for people to, to think about it. You said it before I had to say it because yeah. I thought we were creating a community for what you read in the bio, right? Time, money, location, freedom. Until people start reaching out to me, they're like, I'm making $350,000 a year. I'm doing well in business, but I'm lonely. I'm absolutely mm -hmm. lonely. My brother-in-law doesn't get it. My mom doesn't understand what I'm trying to do. They, mm -hmm. even as successful as I am, they, why don't you go get a real job? Why don't you go do what your brother's doing? Why don't you do what your sister's doing? Right. And like, I don't want to do yeah. that. Just like me. I get it when I was a kid, even now. So what we essentially created was it was a community for, for lonely entrepreneurs. That's mm -hmm. not low. Cause you can come and you can bring your crazy suggestion to us or your thought of what you want to grow. And you're not going to get 
scoffed at. You're not going to get laughed at. You're not going to be demeaned for it. You're not going to be pushed down for it. We're not, it's not polyannable. We're going to help you grow. We're going to help you figure it out. But my brother-in-law wouldn't understand. He's got a job and he wants to just hold on to that job. He doesn't want to do all these things. Why would you waste your time doing an interview at 11 o'clock in the morning that you have no idea what's going to happen because this is how you do it. Mm -hmm. And then these people get that. And so it takes away the loneliness, the entrepreneurial loneliness of, hey, I'm in a world of, of kind of followers and people who follow the system and they don't get it. And there's a small percentage of people who do, and I want to be around them. Beautiful. This, this loneliness, what have you found when you're, when you have, when you're within the community that what, what does fixing that does? And I use fixing it in air quotes because we know, yeah. you know. Fixing yeah. doesn't, isn't the thing, but. No, because it's never totally fixed. You're going to have your days. Um, yeah. What I've noticed, at least in our, our community is even on the downside, the people that are fading away, the people mm-hmm. that eventually leave, they wind up disconnecting. And when things go bad, they don't jump in to, to revitalize and to connect. They actually retreat. They retreat yeah. and they will tell me this too. They, they will retreat because they feel insecure or they feel like it's not working, mm-hmm. right? Or they feel like I'm not measuring up to everybody else because you see all mm-hmm. these other successes. There's a downside to success because the people around you that aren't doing it might mm-hmm. not always, they're happy for you, but they're feeling down about themselves because they're not getting it. So those people will retreat right. into isolation. Whereas when you get on the calls and everybody's there, you do the retreats and everybody's there. It's like, there's a revitalization that comes from that. There's a connectedness that comes from that. And then not only is it just business, cause it's, it is just business. It's friendships, it's relationships. Mm-hmm. They last outside of business and yeah. it's hard as adults, you know, and they even say even adult males, like women, what I see love community, right? Yes. More, more than men do men are forced into it in school. So they think it's a, it's a normal thing because it was given to them, right? Your classmates were given to you. You were told a seat assignment and a room assignment. And you went there and these other guys there. Well, guess what happens mm-hmm. once you're out of that guys retreat, they mm-hmm. retreat to their own world, to their phone, to their whatever, to, and, and they they say the average Adult male over 40 has less, on average, less than one friend. It's a lower percentage than than a full one. Yeah. So so true. Yeah. So outside of the business side of it, it's, it's, it's revitalizing and making friendships because, you know, that loan that comes back to that loneliness and the older it gets, if you don't intentionally do this, it doesn't get better. No, it's so, it's interesting because that is something I see that I call repeated protection cycle. Uh, it's that discomfort. And in, if you're unable to recognize, oh, I'm just uncomfortable because of, you know, A, B, and C. So here's what I need to do instead. The automatic reaction is so often to, instead of leaning, instead of leaning into your community that, yeah, that out. Yep. yep. So what, what have you experienced in that where you're, where maybe it's not for you leaning out of community, but maybe some other sort of cycle of behavior or challenge that has come up for you, even though you've addressed maybe different iterations of it, because we all know no matter what, the thing that we've dealt with reappears like, I'm not what you already fixed about yourself. I'm totally different. (laughs) Yeah. 
for me, I mean, just honestly, I just, it was very self-involved. My, my, my yeah. photography goals were very self-involved. It was, what do I want? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to experience? And I went and, and I wasn't going to be stopped. So during that time, I was not going to be stopped. You, there was nothing I wouldn't do to make it happen. And I think that was admirable to some people, but it also became very self-involved. It was about me. I wasn't mm-hmm. really doing it to make anybody else better. Yeah. But I didn't know that for a decade because I was so wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. Right? When you're like, okay, I'm chasing that game or that achievement or that award or that position, there wasn't time to reflect on it. It was only later on when you have enough achievements and you go, the next achievement doesn't really matter as much. The money doesn't matter as much. And you kind of wonder like, almost like that moment I had with my dad, like, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? And we're so wrapped up in this crazy cycle that a lot of times we don't think about it, but I had enough time and money to think about it. And I didn't like it. I didn't like what I found. I found that it was all about me. I found that I did these things, even though I figured out how to make these connections, I pretty much did the connections to benefit myself. How would it, how would it get me what I needed down the road or even tomorrow or today? That was a hard, that was a hard assessment to figure out. Um, and that's when I figured that out. Like the big learning thing with me was to move from, from selfish to generous, because I don't think anybody would have, they would have described me as driven. They would have described me as, you know, energetic, all these positive things, but I don't know how many people would describe me as generous Yeah. back then. So I said, okay, well, that's who I want to be. That's the person I want to be. And mm-hmm. what I learned in studying the people that really made me feel good, I'm like, okay, who are these people that already do this? And I noticed they were successful, but they mm-hmm. were also very generous. So the first part of my book is about character. And it's basically setting your generous goals over your selfish goals. Now we all have them. We all have selfish goals. I got. I want a place by the beach, right? We're 40 minutes from the yeah. beach, the house here, but I want a place there. I want our retreats to be there. I want to be able to wake up there with the kid. That's what I want. That's selfish mm-hmm. goal. Now, if I focused on that, I'm going to, I'm going to trample over you to get it one way or the other, whether you realize mm-hmm. it or not, I'm going to make sure I get it. That's yeah. not how I wanted to be anymore. But these other people were getting that stuff, but they weren't doing those things. So that's what I went deep into. And what I realized is their goals were generous, not selfish. They were like, hey, how do I do something, but bring four or five other people up with me? How do we do this mm-hmm. together? Mm-hmm. So if I achieve my generous goals, which is doing the best I possibly can for you here today, writing the best blog post I can write, creating the best community I can create for others, guess what happens? I get my selfish goals. They will happen. They will, they will trickle down, but not because I put that on top, because I mm-hmm. put that below it. And I think a lot of people get stuck up in, the, in the, the selfish goals. Here's what I want to achieve. I don't really care what you want to achieve. I'm so frustrated with trying to achieve my thing. But mm-hmm. if you're trying to help me without me even realizing it and you're lifting me up, well, naturally, I'm going to want to help you too without even thinking about it. And that's how we get yeah. better. And then, you know, you know, I grew up on Long Island in New York. It's a very heavily Jewish, Jewish, Italian, but the Jewish yeah. community did well financially. Everybody saw it. I mm-hmm. remember talking to people about it and they basically, one of them basically said to me, older guy, he said, it's because when we get rich, we don't try to just get rich by ourselves. We try to get rich with five other people. And I said, oh, that's what others aren't doing. Others are doing it on their own. They're doing it together. And that's how the community happens. So there's, there's a lot there, but that's kind of what I, one of the things I learned along the way. 
It's beautiful. I, that concept of generous goals. I haven't heard those terms put together in that way. Yeah. And it's fantastic. I I'm having like a moment of like rejiggering in my brain right now. <laughs> it, it's and, fun because it's like, I did, I did an interview last week and, and the host said the same thing. Never like I made it up. And he said, yeah. I said, well, you know, what are you working on? He goes, I'm figuring out my generous goals. He goes, I never thought about that a way before. I'm like, beautiful. And, and and that really tells you right there how selfish goals can be that we've never thought to put those two words together. Well, that's why I go back to the statement I made earlier about when when you shared your story and it was just the awareness your dad gave you that that existed. And it was like, oh, it starts with an awareness and then running with, then developing the understanding. What What is this that I've just learned? Yes, yeah. <laughs> And not blowing it off because what my dad said to me 10 years later, when, you know, I was now doing well in photography, but I wasn't making very much money. I was doing everything I ever wanted to do. And, but my Elizabeth was pregnant with our first kid. She wanted, she wanted to leave her job, but I'm making $32,000 a year, but I'm the international sports photographer for the year. It doesn't make sense. So I called my dad, see if I could work for him and make some money with his business. And he said to me 10 years later, he goes, um, I've been trying to tell you this. You haven't listened. Maybe you'll listen now. Got my attention. And he said, yeah. but you have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. And I said, well, what do you, I'm listening. I said, what do you mean? And he said, you've settled. You, you can do anything you want at this point. He goes, you've mm-hmm. become a really good photographer. You weren't, you've become that. He said, but you've settled. You settled for $32,000 a year in benefits where you can go shoot weddings, sports for magazines. You can teach, you can create, you can do whatever you want to do. Corporate mm-hmm. work, you can have no income limit. You could have no, you could have total time freedom, but you're settling mm-hmm. for $32,000 a year in benefits. Now, what parent tells their kid that? Parents are usually like, get the safe job, keep the safe. You know, he was right. telling me, push yourself outside of those boundaries. And that was a big thing that I learned was to be able to listen when that advice comes in. So you got to be able to hear it. Somebody's right. listening to this right now and they're not really going to hear it. Like, no, you don't understand. Life's hard. Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Okay. A year later, you might come back and listen to like, now I get it. So you got to be able to receive that attention when you hear it. Oh, exactly. Yay, dad. Yeah. <laughs> and yay you for being in that place. Cause what you said is so true. It is. And I, I, I think that comes up so often when, uh, at least I'm experiencing this when I, I have books on you know audible and I'll listen to certain ones three, four times a year. And mm-hmm. each time it's as if I'm listening to a new book. Because you're I, a different person. Oh, yes. And so it is important for those of us maybe that are in that space of uh, trying to create change, or that's, that's like our role in life to be, to be that, to remind ourselves, it's okay to say the same thing over and over to the same people. <laughs> And I'm guilty of it as a content creator. I want everything to be new and fresh and different. Whereas what I need to do is repeat myself more. I need to say, right. But I don't, I think it all should be, but people aren't consuming all of it. So that's, you know, we all have our hurdles. That's a hurdle of mine. I think everything should be new and fresh. It's like, no, you need to, if if anybody follows Dave Ramsey, he repeats himself over and over. Mm -hmm. You don't have to listen for 15 years. You come back at the same exact thing. (laughs) I'm sorry. But it works. It does. It's a new audience. It's a, it's a new audience and B it's somebody that's been listening for two years, but hasn't listened. Yeah. And now they're listening. So if there's a false belief that you have or a change you would need to make is, do you think it's along those lines of just being able to recognize what is my thing that if I just repeat this, this is a runner, this is my, 
this is who I Are am. Are you saying for me, for me personally? Yeah, yeah. Is that? Um, it's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to always grow from, right? Well, yeah. In some ways, I feel like we've advanced so far. And, and I think the more you advance, the more you realize, I'm just, not only am I just starting, but there's so much more to learn. That's why when people tell me they're bored, I'm like, you're bored. How could you be bored? There, in right. anything. There's, yeah. then you're, then you're, and, and the second part of the book is, is curiosity. It, mm -hmm. anybody that's bored shows me they have a lack of curiosity. Because if you're bored, go learn something for yourself or go learn something for somebody else or go learn about somebody else. But how could you be bored? I've never, I don't understand it. So when my kids, you know, my poor kids, like, good luck. You're not sitting around telling me you're bored. It doesn't oh work God. in this house. Right. So yeah, <laughs> curiosity is the key. Yeah. So that is one of the main themes of your book. What else is a, is like a major takeaway from, from your book that you're like, this is, this is something I want to share before we get into saying our goodbyes. Yeah. Um, well, the idea came essentially from, I knew connection was, was so important. And the idea of the wealth mm -hmm. of connection where it's like, there's wealth in those connections, but there's also wealth financially that comes from connections, right? Mm -hmm. Referrals and all that type of stuff and, and our network. But I realized I met so many people that started podcasts, wrote books, created courses, did services, and, and it didn't work. Nobody yeah. cared. Nobody cared. And, and it was mm -hmm. crickets. They would spend two years writing a book. They would publish it. Four people would review it. Yeah. It would get no traction after a week. And they, after a month, they're frustrated. Mm -hmm. And what I realized, why, why is this happening? And other people, whatever they put out, get shared and become successful. And I mm -hmm. realized that all these people are putting the creation of the book or the whatever it is first. If I just write this great book, the world's going to know. And, and the truth is nobody cares. No, the truth is nobody cares. Nobody cares about your podcast. Nobody cares about your book. To understand that to begin with is huge because it makes you realize it's not about creation at the beginning. Creation is at the ending, even if you are creating the whole time. Meaning, first step is your character because mm -hmm. you can create all you want, but if you turn out to be a phony or you turn out to be selfish, people are going to care about you less over time. So when you have your character set and then you're curious, you ask questions of others. You try to solve problems for others. Now you're figuring out things to create later on. Mm -hmm. So that's the cornerstone of connection is your character and your curiosity. When I meet somebody that has good character, it's been referred to me that they know for years and they vouch for them. They go higher up on my list in terms of people I want to yeah. relate to. Now you're curious. You ask questions about me and about others. I like you a lot more because we want to hear, we want people to ask questions of us, not just talk about themselves. And that happens all the time mm -hmm. now especially post-COVID, it's worse now than ever. Now when you have connection and you have connection with these great people and you learn how to mm -hmm. do that, then you collaborate like we're doing here today from referral from Matt, right? The people bring people yeah. together, right? And now we collaborate, whether it's on books or on businesses or on projects or podcasts. Now your audience, who I don't know, gets to hear me because of mm -hmm. this and vice versa. And we get to elevate each other. Collaboration is like the is like the fertilizer that makes everything just expand. Yeah. Now, when you go to create or work on your creation, you have this network built around it to lift it up. And that's what all those people did. And that's what all the selfish people did not do. And I, I say selfish, meaning they held on to it without doing these other things. And then they put right. this work of art out into the world that could be amazing, but nobody's ever going to hear about it. And that's one of the saddest things to happen. So that's why... That's why I wanted to write this. Oh, beautiful. 
Well, Vincent, I, I know you've said before that you have that to share with our audience, which is so generous. Yeah. I want I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> you're fine. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. We, you know, I always say this stuff starts with being with, with free and generous. And a lot of people will argue with me, like, no, you need to get paid what you're worth. You look at anybody that's been successful, they have a podcast that's probably free, or a, mm-hmm. or a blog that's free, or whatever it is, or content they social media. We don't realize they're putting all that stuff out for free. It's free right. and it's generous. It's really great content. That's how you build trust. That's how you get better at things. So I'm like, why not do it ourselves? We wrote this book and we did it with our last book and we're doing this one. Like, why don't we put the audio out for free? Because if people read it or listen to it and like it, it's more in line with the message. Maybe they're going to set better generous goals. Maybe they're going to connect and collaborate better. Maybe down the road, they will work with us. Whoever knows what it is, but how are they going to know about it? If I could take away the price barrier for something like that, then let's do it. So I offer the audiobook for free that anybody wants to listen to it. So that's fantastic. Well, Vincent, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I've really enjoyed our time together. And Me too. thank you. Just thank you for sharing all that you did with everybody. And I would love for people to be able to find you easily. Where should they go? Yeah, our website's totallifefreedom.com. On Instagram, I'm totallifefreedom1 or on find me social media all over the place. But the websites um, and the blog from there is probably the easiest way to to connect if you subscribe to that email back and forth, but total life freedom is, is the, is the platform in the name. Great. Well, thank you. And thank you again for, for just sharing all the wonderful nuggets that you shared and for uh, we'll provide that link then for everybody to access that audio awesome. version of your book. Um, Thanks Katie. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye now. Appreciate it. Bye. Hey, Katie. Yeah, Mark? Want to do an outro? I sure do. Sweet. Hey, thank you so, so much for listening and making it to the end. Yay, you. So what happens next? Uh, We ask them the things that podcasters are supposed to ask at the end of an episode. Can you please rate, review, download? Subscribe. Mm. Yeah. But why is it important? Because that's how our podcast gets noticed. That's how people find us. It is, and we want all their (laughs) earballs. All the earballs all over the place. We do. Nice. Yeah, so please do all those things. We'll be ever so grateful. And then more people hear your beautiful voice. Or yours. Oh, yeah. (laughs) See you next time. Bye.